You may or may not know that we have a security team here at Crosswinds. We call it our Strategic Crosswinds Advisory Team, otherwise known as SQUAT. Okay, so you hear about SQUAT, that's what it means. There's a, it's a, an aphorism there. And so, uh, and this team, uh, occasionally in the past and in the future, it will happen as well, they have conducted drills. You know, like in school, when you have your fire drill to make sure everything works, to give people a chance to, to practice. And I've always told them, and, and years ago, we had a drill, and it was on a particular Sunday, and I said, uh, just don't, don't tell me when it's going to happen. And at, at some point during that day, I knew that the alarm was going to go off. And in fact, I've told Rick Wolf, our director of, of squat, that, um, you know, if you want to do that any Sunday, go ahead. Just, uh, but I will say this. The alarm could go off at any time because there's an emergency, okay? And that's the whole point, is that when something happens, there has to be a way to get us out of here. And so there's this anticipation that at any moment, the alarm could go off. That's a little bit like life, isn't it? We have, we have things in our life that are somewhat alarming, Maybe not uh, as, as alarming as an earthquake or a fire or an active shooter, but alarming nonetheless. I know at, at my house, when I go down uh, my street, there's a gas station that I buy my gas at, and I've been passing it every day. And so far, I don't know about you, but so far, I have yet to pay $6 a gallon for gas. That's just, I've, I've managed to stay in the $5, and yet... Pretty much daily, I've been alarmed this week, so much so that as I'm driving down the road and I'm coming up to the sign that's going to tell me what the gas is, I'm like, no, 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 because right now, for the last five days, it's been at $5.99, okay? And it was at $5.99. Now, I know you're going to say $5.99 and $9.10, that's virtually six, but it's not six. There's no sixes in that so far. But I do have a, a little bit of a tightness in, in my stomach as I'm getting closer and closer to the gas station. And let's face it, I, I pretty much plan that I'm going to be spending six bucks a gallon. And so the, the security team has this protocol for disasters like earthquakes, fires. Uh, obviously, we're seeing uh, with the, uh, the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, we're seeing churches targeted. Uh, in fact, our church is getting involved with a local uh, women's health center, a right to life health center. And so and we're becoming actively involved. And so we could become uh, the focus of some of those targets. And so it's one of those things that we have to be prepared for that, that, that life just brings our way. It reminds me of a poster I saw one time that, that went, looked like this. Into each life some rain must fall, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> there are those times. Let me, let me share with you, if, if you think you have it bad, let me give you an example of just how bad life can get. Uh, Max Lucado, in one of his books, has a story about a parakeet by the name of Ch Chippy. And Chippy the parakeet, he never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy, Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it into the cage, and then the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up, and she would barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped and put down the phone and turned off the vacuum. She opened up the bag and there was Chippy, alive, but kind of stunned. And since the bird was, now of course, since this bird was covered with dirt and soot, she grabbed him and she raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. 
And after that, she realized Chippy was soaking and shivering, and so she reached for the hairdryer and blasted him with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. I love this part. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who'd initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, uh, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sort of sits and stares. <laughs> and it's hard not to see why, isn't it? Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. <laughs> That's enough to steal the song out of anybody, right? <laughs> much less a parakeet. And maybe there's times in your life where you would say, I can certainly identify with that bird. Maybe you've gotten past the point that some people are, at least early in their Christian life, hey, I'm a Christian, so should this even be happening? Hasn't God promised me the abundant life? Well, that would be like saying, why have emergency drills in church? Because after all, fires and earthquakes and active shooters, those aren't going to be happening in a church, right? This is a haven. Well, come on, we all know better. And in fact, Jesus promised us just the opposite. In John 16, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace in the world. That's where we are, by the way. You have tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. And overcoming the world while experiencing life's alarms is where this book is going to begin that we're going to go through during the summer. I encourage you to, in your Bibles, open up to the book of James. It's uh, the book right after the long book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And for the next 11 weeks, we are going to be going through the book of James in a series I've entitled Faith at Work. And I have a long history with James. In fact, this was the first book I ever had the opportunity to teach. My youth pastor used to have a, a youth group that he called Club, and then they would have a Bible study called Search. And one summer, he asked me if I wanted to teach Search. I was a, had been a believer for a couple of years, and so I was excited to do that. And he gave me the book of James, and so it's been a, a favorite of mine ever since. And the, the, the idea behind James is that it's putting our faith at work. It's not, you know, faith at work sounds like, you know, uh, making sure that, that your faith is seen at your work. No, this is a working faith. Or as James says in a couple of, a couple of uh, weeks, we'll see this one, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. That's the direction that James goes in. And there are a few James in the Bible. I'm going to do a very short intro here. We have James, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, the brother of John. We have another apostle called James the Lesser. And then there's this other James who was the head of the church. And, and so which of these James is the James we're talking about? Or is he somebody else? Well, we get a hint of that in verse 1. And it says, James... Uh, remember, letters in the, old, in the Bible are kind of nice to us because they tell us right up front who it is that's writing. We don't have to go to the end of the letter like we do today. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, again, for time's sake, I'm not going to go into the research. You've all got the, you know, the ability to, to go to Google, or I was told last week you ought to go to DuckDuckGo. I guess that's better than Google. They don't, they don't track you as well. But of all the James we see in Scripture, it is pretty much accepted that this is the James who actually is the half-brother of Jesus. 
If you go to Matthew 13, 55, I encourage you to keep notes today. There'll be a lot of them flying at you. And you go to Matthew 13, 55, and you realize that, that James is the oldest brother of Jesus. Well, next oldest. Jesus was the oldest. And, and, and I sometimes wonder about that. Imagine if, if Jesus were your brother. You know, how would you like to grow up with that? Are you, a, you know, one of the kids in the family that gets compared to the really good kid in the family? Imagine if that really good kid was Jesus, you know? And I wonder other things, you know, mom trying to give him a bath and he doesn't go underwater. You know, he keeps, he keeps rising up on top of it anyway. <laughs> and from the other end, as a parent, what do you think it'd be like raising Jesus? I think we have no concept, don't we? Because the kids we got to raise, you know, they learned how to say no real fast. <laughs> there were no no's coming out of Jesus. He was just perfect from day one. I mean, really perfect. Not like we say about our kids, oh, my kids are perfect. We know better. But Jesus really was. There's a couple of things we know about James. From, Je from John 7, 5, we realize that he and the rest of his family initially didn't believe in Jesus. They were kind of embarrassed about him. They wanted to get him off the circuit. And, and that happened, that, that, that continued until in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, we see James, this James, actually experiencing the risen Christ. And then, of course, like everyone else, he was changed dramatically. We see him later in the book of Acts 15, where he is now a leader in the Jerusalem church, speaks at one of the councils. Now, if I were James, I don't know about you, but I would probably introduce my letter something along the lines of, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, you know, I would probably play that up. I mean, that, that, that gives me street cred. But the thing is, James doesn't say that because in his mind, these are not the things that give him authority. His authority came from the fact that, as he says here in verse 1, I am a bond servant of God. That simply means I am a servant, I am a slave, if you will, by choice. I have chosen to be a slave. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, no brother here, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that's good about that is that that's the same thing any one of us can say. So he's immediately connecting us with his experience. And he says here, he's writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed or scattered, which means that they are scattered throughout the world. They're no longer together. So James is writing to Jewish Christians everywhere, and in fact, down through the ages, to Christians everywhere. And it's important to recognize that. He's writing to Christians He's assuming right from the start that we know Christ as our Savior and we desire to follow him as our Lord. And he, because throughout this book, what is he going to do? He's going to emphasize faith in action. So the faith has to be there. So we're coming to him as believers in Christ, as those possessed of the Holy Spirit, wanting to know how to put my faith, how to put my, my belief in Christ into action. Because you see, as he's going to tell us over and over again, our faith should be producing works. That's an important point. Martin Luther famously said that he thought the book of James ought to be removed from the Bible because it was, he looked at it from his perspective, coming out of the Catholic Church, a very works-based organization, as going against the whole idea of grace. I'm sure he probably later changed his mind about that. But this is going to be, I think, a great reminder this summer. It's already been for me because I get a week at it before you do. By the way, at the end of your notes, I put what next week's passage is. So I encourage you to spend maybe, maybe at least once a day just reading through that passage and kind of soak yourself in it before we come to it on Sunday. And it's my hope and prayer 
that throughout this summer, you're going to want to put your faith in action. You're going to want to reach out to the people in your world. Summer's a great time to do that. School just ended. The kids are out. There's, there, there's great opportunities. In fact, I've talked to a couple of you this morning who were telling me the, the, the things you're doing with those people in your world. If you don't know this card I'm holding up, these are available on your way out uh, between the doors. I encourage you to grab one of these, and on the back, we simply pray and ask God, who are the people in my world that you want me to impact and influence for Christ? And list those and start praying for them and pray for opportunities uh, to, to interact with them and then get ready because God will answer that prayer. And then look for opportunities to invite them to things. Throughout the summer, we have, of course, the 4th of July coming up in just a couple of weeks, our annual event that's a, a great place to bring people who are brand new to our church. We have kids camp, as you've been hearing, you know, coming up. We have another trip to Broken Arrow Bible Ranch. You hear a lot about Broken Arrow Bible Ranch around here. Well, in the first week of August, we're going to be there for a week. We're taking a team, and you could be part of that team. If you want more information about that, let us know on the church app or, uh, or, or tell somebody at the table in the foyer. Well, James starts his letter this morning by jumping right in. And just like if the alarm were to go off this morning, he reminds us that alarms go off in our lives as well. And this is how should we, we should respond. This is how the, the first response is we should anticipate it with the fact that the alarm will go off. None of us are, are, are free of those alarming times in our life. It's going to happen. And so how does James say to react to it? Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. That's the alarms. And notice he doesn't say here, if you encounter or face trials. He says, when you face trials. The alarms will go off. It is going to happen. That's life. The alarm will go off. In fact, maybe it already has. Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I'm dealing with the, 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 the after effects right now. And yet we still kind of wonder, don't we? Why is this happening to me? Why, why am I having to go through this? Paul, uh, Peter, as we've seen a few times, had something to say about that. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes up. And by the way, the fiery ordeal probably meant people were being burned at the stake. Okay, so that's a little more than you know, the price of gas, all right? He says, don't be surprised, which comes upon you for your testing as though, I love this, something strange were happening to you. That means it would be strange if something weren't happening to you. It's what he's saying there. To the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. Paul talked about it as well. Paul said to his, his protege, Timothy, indeed, get this, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus, say this with me, will be persecuted. Let's just get that down, okay? You want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus? I hope we all would say, yes, that's me. Well, get ready. You will be persecuted. But evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right, have a nice day. Okay, that's, that's life. So facing various trials, whether they be physical or emotional or material or financial, it's a normal part of the Christian life. There's nothing wrong. That is normal. So how should I then respond to these trials? Well, he says, consider it all, or in some versions, it's pure joy. 
It's joy that isn't mixed with anything. There's no qualifiers. There's no quotation. He, he's not being sarcastic. Oh, consider it pure joy when you fall. I mean, we, we do that, right? James isn't rolling his eyes when he says this. Now, he's not telling us to have joy for the trial. That would be crazy. Yay, we're having trial. No, he's saying have joy in the trial. Why? Because that's our second point. The alarm has a purpose. Everything that happens to us as God's children happens for a purpose. It's kind of like fathers, you know, next week is Father's Day. You know, we do things to our kids and for our kids that sometimes they question, right? Why in the world are you doing this? I can't tell you how many times I had questions like, don't you love me? <laughs> yes, and because I love you, that's why I'm doing this. It's no different than our heavenly father. And so we, he has a purpose. He has a reason even, or, or maybe better yet, especially when there are difficulties in life. Look at verse 3. We have joy knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the knowing that he's talking about here is a knowledge, the word actually means a knowledge that comes from experience. That's what testing does. And when you're tested, you know that you can endure it. And that's growth. Years ago, here at uh, Crosswinds, we had uh, an exercise, a health program, I guess we called it. Mark Mariglia ran it, and he called it Rebuilding Your Temple. I've obviously backslid a little from it, but hey, I'm getting back on the horse, all right? But one day, Mark Mariglia announced to us that, hey, everybody, rejoice. Today is the day of 100s. And what is the day of 100s, you ask? <laughs> We're all going to do 100 sit-ups, 100 push-ups, and 100 of the dreaded burpees. <laughs> and I'll tell you, at the point he said that, I thought, well, I hope so, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't take bets on my getting through all of that. Guess what? I got through it all. I did all of them. I didn't know if I could do it, but after I did it, after I was tested then I knew that I could do it, maybe not that day, but I knew that I could do this again if I was asked to do it. Think about it. Why do we give tests? Why, why, do, we, why, why do we test ourselves? So we know that part of it is so that we know what we know. We know we can pass the test. God is not trying to punish us. He wants us to pass. And so what does passing look like in your life? I, I, what passing looks like according to what he says here in verse 3, is that I know I will endure no matter what. I know that I will persevere no matter what. That word there is, could, be, could be seen as faith stretched out. You know, faith in the short term is one thing, but faith that continues through more and more difficulties, and then that happened, and then that happened, that is perseverance. That is endurance. And that's what he wants us to know. And look at what it produces in us. We will be perfect. Another word for that is mature, experienced, well-developed. We will be complete, meaning we will be fully trained. We'll know what to do. We will be lacking in nothing. And you could throw all kinds of things into that. Security, contentment, confidence. I don't know about you, but I think that's a, a pretty good trade-off for what God is doing in our lives, isn't it? Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to understand it. I might still ask, why is this still happening? We walk by faith, as Habakkuk has told us the last four weeks, not by sight. 
But the big encouragement is this. It's not just trouble for trouble's sake. And, and yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to feel bad. But at least we know there's a purpose in it. It's not just happening. There is a purpose. I, I don't know about you, but I think if you think about it for a while, that you could probably say that some of the worst experiences in your life have actually become the best things that ever happened to you. I remember burning out in ministry one time, just working myself so much and so much that I literally had a day that I could not get out of bed. I just couldn't do anymore. Out of that, I learned that God's plan for me is not for me to just work it and work it and work it, which we're going to see in the book of James. No, he's given me his Holy Spirit. And I began to put together this idea that he has empowered me. He's giving me the power and the ability to carry out what he's told me to do. And I wasn't doing that. But after burning out, I recognized the need. Some of you remember a number of years ago when I had uh, shingles and uh, a, a compressed disc in my back. And I, I, I continued to preach, you know, and I, I brought a stool up here and ignored it. Because preaching, I don't feel anything. But afterwards, boy, did I ever. And it was that that I realized I need to make some changes in my life. I can't keep doing this. In fact, just recently, I've, you know, some of you have asked me and, you know, uh, for the last couple of years, really, after church, you want to know, are you okay, Pastor? Because I'm limping. And, uh, and it was okay because you know, I've got a trick knee and all that. But one of the things I found out just recently, we were at Catalina Island and we were walking to uh, the, this place called the Casino on Catalina Island. Some of you know Catalina. And Jackie and I could hardly, well, Jackie was fine. Willie could hardly make it. <laughs> And it wasn't because I was winded. Now, I'm a hiker, you know, I talk about, you know, liking that kind of stuff. But I could hardly make it because of the pain. It was so painful. I had to stop two times in probably a half mile just to, to let the pain subside. And then I found out that I'd been wearing these inserts in my shoes for about seven years. And I, I did some research and I found out they last about a year to two years. And I thought, well, I wonder what happens if I don't wear them. Because I was wearing them because initially they made all the pain go away. I took them out and now I am pain free. I have no, and I'd still have a trick knee. So sometimes you, know, you may still see a limp, but I'm not feeling it anymore. And so that's what testing does. It gives you insight. It gives you understanding. And he tells us here, the team, you know, the, the uh, uh, it doesn't tell us here, but the squat team why are they testing us? They're testing us so we can pass, so it'll be easier for us to not ignore what, what we are told to do, so it'll be beneficial for us. The team, the, the, the team, the squat team, wants us to be prepared for what we all know is coming. I mean, come on, we live in California. There's going to be earthquakes. It's only a matter of time. And he wants us to be prepared, and God wants us to be prepared as well. So go with it, either emergency drills or God's testing. And how do we do that? Well, that's the next point. The alarm itself should motivate us. You don't develop patience, trust me, I know, from working at being patient. <laughs> I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be, you know, and I've told the story many times, even though I don't have impatient thoughts coming out of my mouth in the terms of words, I huff. I stand there in line like, <sighs> okay, so you don't work on it. It isn't going to happen that way. Patience, if you don't know, is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, write it down. For the, for the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's one of those things that result 
as you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life, working in you and through you, uh, the, the Bible says that we are to be filled, which means to be controlled or, and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And as he does that, then patience is the result. It's not something I have to work on. And in fact, it's not even something I can work on because I fail. We fail at those things. And so how do we, we ask, how do, how do we get it? We ask for it. We ask, and the desire for joy in trials ought to motive, motivate us to ask for it. Look at verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So what is wisdom? Maybe a, a, a quick definition would be knowing what God wants us to do. Wisdom is being Christ-like. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says, to those who are the called, that's hopefully us, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the what? The wisdom of God. When I say something like that, it means you say wisdom. Ready? The power of God and the what? Wisdom. There you go. When we... <laughs> And when we ask God for wisdom, guess what? He promises he will give it to us with, with, without uh, fail, and he'll give it to us generously. I mean, after all, he gave us his son. Why would he hold anything back now? He gave us the best thing of all. Everything else is second compared to that. Why would he hold back? I love Romans 8.32. Look at this promise. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And certainly he wants us to have wisdom. Say the alarm were to go off right now. Somebody pulls the alarm. What are you going to do? Wisdom is knowing what to do when that happens, and we're going to be helping you with that. And so what would you do? You would probably go up to one of the squat team members and say, what do I do? What do I do? Okay. And they will answer you generously and probably a little bit vigorously. Okay. If <laughs> you've got 200 people coming up to you, what do I do? What do I do? That's why we have drills. And so, you know, the natural thing to do, particularly if you're a mom, is what? I'm going to run down to the nursery and grab my child. But that's the wrong thing to do. And so the squat team will tell you that. But when they give you an answer, rather than running down to the nursery, because they're not going to tell you to do that, they're going to say, go right out the door. Your child will, will be brought to you. When, you. when they give you an answer, believe them, okay? And do what they say. And if you don't believe them and do what they say, there are going to be consequences. And guess what? It's the same with God. Look at verse 6. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You see, if that alarm goes off and you're doubting, what are you probably going to do? You're just going to sit there. And when the building falls down from the earthquake, you're going to be inside. When the Lord tells you to do something and you just sit there, guess what? Life is probably going to fall on you as well. So why do we so often doubt God? Because here's the thing. We think that his commands and his word is somehow a choice. It's I want to know God's will and if our attitude in knowing God's will, we talked about this last week in the, in the hot buttons class, if my attitude in knowing God's will is so I can then decide whether I want to follow it, that's the wrong attitude, okay? It's not giving you, he's not giving us a choice. 
And yet that's the way we often approach it. And so there's some times where it's like, oh, I like the way God says to do that, but I'm not so sure about that. So I'm going to go my way. And, and, and that's not working too well. So maybe I'll go God's way. And God's way is hard. I, can't, I don't know if I can keep this up. So I'm going to go back to my way. You see what's happening? I'm being blown back and forth like a wave of the sea. Exactly what, what uh, James says. And if you're like me, it doesn't take too long of doing that before I'm sick. <laughs> And I'm up chucking all over the place. You don't ever want to ride in a car with me unless I'm behind the wheel. I'm warning you right now. It's not a good thing, okay? And often in life, is that not the same thing? My life is sick. I wonder why. Because I'm trying to go two ways at once, and it doesn't work. I'm unstable. I'm like a drunk. I can't stay, uh, I, I can't stay focused on one thing. I'm all over the place. Guys, we need God's help at all times. And he tells us, in, for instance, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll do what? He will direct your paths. He will make them straight. And the alarms of life should motivate us to do that. Ask him for wisdom and know that he will give it to you. So far, what we've seen and many of us have experienced. The alarms will go off, both here at the church and in life. The alarm always has a purpose, and it is always for our good. And the alarm should then motivate us to seek God's direction. And when we get God's direction, guess what? The alarm now guides us. Look at verse 9. Now the brother or sister in humble circumstances is to glory or take pride in his high position. No matter what trial you're going through, you should glory. You should take pride in it because he's saying you're actually in a high position. For instance, think about it. He says, you're, 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 you, you may think you just lack things. You know, humble means poor, means without, okay? And you may, you may realize that I no longer need the things that I used to hang on to for my security. You will learn that you have been accepted by Christ. You can identify, here's a good one, you can identify with Christ in your suffering. I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3 when he says, I want to know Christ, and that's an experiential knowledge, okay, like, like Adam knew Eve and the result was a child. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And you might look at that and say, well, I don't know, pastor, that doesn't sound so great. But tr trust me, the only person who would say that is someone who has not experienced it. Look at the experiences of those who have given everything. I mean, the martyrs that we see in scripture. I've met a few believers in China in the underground church and you look at their situation and you think, man, that's horrible. I would never want to go through that. And yet one thing they have almost without fail is a dynamic faith. It's a, it's a passionate relationship with God. So much so that they pray that we in America, the underground church in China, prays that we in America would have more persecution should let them know it's happening, okay? But the more persecution, because they recognize that it's being persecuted that has, that has energized their faith. The opposite is also true. Look at verse 10. 
But the rich person is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will die out. You might have a lot of stuff in this world, but what he's saying in here is, be thankful that in Christ, you are equal to all the poor people with nothing. Because if it was up to how much you had, you would be in bad shape indeed. I read uh, about the Titanic. When the Titanic was going down, obviously they didn't have enough lifeboats. They didn't have enough seats on the lifeboats for everybody to get on. And that there were a number of very well-to-do people on the ship. And so they were going up to people on the lifeboats and they were trying to buy a seat on the lifeboat. Nobody was buying. I mean, they apparently were offering insane amounts of money. Here's a million dollars for a seat on, on the lifeboat. They weren't taking it. It didn't matter how much money they had. That's what James is getting at here. When the, when the ship is going down, your money isn't going to matter. I love the desert. I'll tell you what, I especially love the desert in the heat. They're having this heat wave. It's a great time to go to the desert. You see some amazing things. Like every morning, the desert is usually in bloom. But as James describes here, it all dies by the afternoon just to come back up again the next morning. And he gives that to us as a picture of that's how much your stuff, your money, your, your, your abilities, that's how much it's going to help you in this life. It's like the old joke. You ask the, the rich man died and someone says, how much did he leave? The answer, of course, is all of it. <laughs> None of it goes with him. It's all there. And be thankful that God doesn't take these things into account. He doesn't take into account how much money I have or skill or talents or good looks or popularity or whatever because that would never be enough if he did. So this morning I have sounded, I should say James, has sounded the alarm. It's not an alarm for an earthquake or a fire or an active shooter, but God's word has sounded this alarm loud and clear. Look at verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial For once he has been approved, once he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Like squat, God puts us through various tests in life. And as we persevere through them, he says we will also be rewarded. The crown of life, that's not only a crown that we're going to get someday in heaven. The, the The word life there, Zoe, talks about a quality of life, and that's something we can experience right now. I have met believers who are experiencing that Zoe, that that quality of life right now, and it's available for those of us who follow him. Jesus promised it in John 10.10. Does this not describe our world? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It can get pretty discouraging, right? But what does Jesus say? I came so that they would have Zoe, life, and have it abundant. And he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about a quality of life. A quality of life that as you live it, people around you say, what's up? How, did you, how, how come you can live this way? Why, why do you react the way you do to things? And that's what we share with those people in our worlds on our cards. Into each life, some rain must fall, right? Like Chippy the parrot, we often feel sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The alarms keep going off in our life all the time. There's not a question of if, but just when. Something is going to happen, but guess what? Take heart, because as we've seen today, God has promised that it is all for our good. Satan, the thief, 
He wants to use it to steal and kill and destroy us. And too often, guys, we let him do it. He can't ultimately get us. We're not going to hell, but we're, we're pretty miserable when Jesus says, I want you to experience the abundant life. I have come, Jesus says, to give you a quality of life that is full and satisfying no matter what you're going through. And how do you get it? Well, if you lack wisdom, then ask. And guess what? You've come to the right place. It's the word of God. Let me give you the answer generously. And it is this that the world was lost without Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. And, we, and, and because of our sin, we are under a death sentence. But Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life so that he was not under the death sentence. Nevertheless, he went to his cross and he died. Not for his sins, but for the sins of the entire world. He paid the price. And because he did that, we can all experience eternal life. Now, you may say, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me, and that, that would be appropriate, but also you have to accept the gift that he's given to you. And how do we respond to what God has shared with us this morning? We call it, again, the ABCs, and the first one is this, admit that I need what Jesus is offering. Admit, on another level, admit to what you're struggling with. Just be honest. We saw that in Habakkuk, how, how honest he was with God. Just lay it out. Lord, I am struggling with this. I don't know if I can make it. And then secondly, the B is to believe what the Bible says about that situation that you're in. Believe that Jesus Christ did come to this earth, live a sinless life, was, uh, died and was buried and rose again on the third day. Believe that. And then finally, the third thing you need to do is to make a choice, to choose to make whatever it is a part of your life. What you've heard today, don't just listen to it. James is going to emphasize over and over again, do it. Put it into your life. Put it into practice. And when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, then choose to accept the gift that he's offering you. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that can be yours this morning. Wherever you come from this morning, whatever you're dealing with, Jesus Christ wants to be the answer to that alarm, whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the, for the confidence we can have that there's nothing that we can face that you're not there with us. And Lord, in particular, I pray for those here this morning that have realized that I don't have Jesus in my life. I haven't taken the first step because James begins at the point after becoming a Christian. And so for those people today, for those who would say, I don't know what it means to be a Christian other than what I've just heard, my answer to you is, and God's answer to you this morning, is to confess with your mouth that to the Lord. Agree with him. Lord, I need you. Just say that to him now. Lord, I need you. I desire for Jesus to be my personal Lord, my personal Savior. I want to follow you. Come into my life. Say this in your words. I'm not giving you magic words here. Say it in your words. Lord, come into my life. Change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. Lord, I'll be the first to admit that I often don't know what to do when I have struggles and trials in my life, 
when the alarms go off and I, and I find myself running around in circles. But this morning, Lord, I pray that I am praying along with my brothers and sisters here at Crosswinds. And I'm saying to you, Lord, I want to take you at your word. Lord, you've shown me what to do generally. And I ask, Lord, that through your word, you show me through the book of James and other places. Give me the strength and the perseverance to follow through on what you're showing me through your word today. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your love for me, for my brothers and my sisters. Lord, give us the faith that you promised to us to carry out all that you have for us. And in those areas when we are struggling, whatever those struggles may be, may your faith even be stronger and shining even brighter. That's what candles do, Lord. They shine a whole lot brighter in dark rooms. And so when things get dark around me and within me, may your light shine even brighter, not only to myself, but especially, Lord, to the people around me in my world. I pray, Father, that that's the prayer of every one of us here today. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this journey we get to take together this summer. And we give all the praise and glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.